from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Chong. Crime, a search for the next police chief, traffic violence, and how to spend ARPA funds. Those are just a few top issues in St. Louis. And here to talk about that and much more, and not necessarily in that order, is St. Louis Mayor Tishara Jones. Mayor Jones, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you. It's great to see you, too. So let's start with something that is uh, very recent from this past week. There was a town hall meeting Tuesday night with the four finalists for the next chief of police. The finalists are Wilmington, Delaware, Police Chief Robert Tracy, former Norfolk, Norfolk Virginia Police Chief Larry Boone, uh, Columbia, South Carolina, Deputy Chief Malrin Kelly, and interim St. Louis Police Chief Michael Sack. Who impressed you the most that night? Well, I'd be uh, telling you too much information if I told you who impressed me the most. I would say that each of them brought something different to the table, um, depending on where they came from and their respective experience. Um, we had, uh, uh, you know, Deputy Chief Kelly, um, who's from Columbia, South Carolina, who rose through the ranks, uh, as well as uh, Chief Larry Boone in Norfolk, Virginia, who also rose through the ranks. Um, and both are black men coming from uh, majority-minority cities. And then you have uh, Chief Robert Tracy also com- coming from Wilmington, Delaware, from a majority-minority city who has um, uh, increased recruitment of minority uh, police officers during his term. Um, and then uh, Chief Sack, who's been uh, uh, guiding our ship uh, since the retirement of Chief Hayden. All of them have uh, a wealth of experience, uh, and all of them bring something different to the table. So it sounds like you are confident that these are well-qualified candidates for the position. Absolutely. Um, Our search firm, the Bulware Group, uh, searched high and low uh, to find uh, these candidates, uh, but with really specific instructions because we wanted to make sure that uh, the finalists also were rooted in community policing, uh, alternatives to policing, as well as uh, using data-driven policing strategies, and all all of them met that mark. So you've said that your intent is to make an announcement on who is selected for the job before the end of the year. Um, What are the top qualities that you are looking for in this next police chief? Well, as I just said, you know, we want to make sure that um, they are rooted in community policing, that they um, have experience with alternative policing strategies, you know, deploying the right professional to the right call, using data-driven policing strategies, uh, using data uh, to also determine our um, our uh, deployment strategies as well, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know experience with dealing with minority communities. Uh, you know, St. Louis is a majority-minority town, um, and we want to make sure that. Uh, that uh, the next chief also has a uh, cultural competence at, at the at the head and, and also really lives diversity, equity and inclusion. So of the things that you have just mentioned, among the criteria and qualifications, we see that in 21st century policing methods is one uh, of those things that is um, articulated. So you've talked about data driven policing. Um, would you say that that is an example of what differentiates 21st century 
from 20th century policing methods. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, definitely. We have a a lot of access to different technology nowadays. Um, A lot of cities use ShotSpotter in different ways to, um, uh, to, you know, tell when shots are being fired in different neighborhoods. Um, And currently, even at our local police department, we use data to determine uh, how to deploy um, uh, our traffic and traffic violation um, officers to, you know, to where, to where the data tells us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the data also tells us, you know, which neighborhoods are more violent than others and where to deploy different strategies. Uh, so that's all a part of 21st century policing. You also mentioned community and being able to connect. Do you believe the public has had sufficient opportunity to offer input on the search for the new police chief? Yes, absolutely. Um, Before we had the interviews, um, we did town halls and had public surveys asking people what they wanted to see in their next police chief. We did online and paper surveys and town halls. Uh, And when we got the names from the uh, personnel department, we released them. We got the names on a Friday. We released them on Monday, which was as soon as we could. Uh, But we have to remember this is a hiring process. Um, So, you know, the personnel department um, uh, gave us the information and we uh, were able to disseminate it as soon as possible. And what is your sense of how you know, community members feel about, um, about the forum that happened on Tuesday night? Do you think that they were able to glean some valuable information in that one space and that one time? Yes, absolutely. Um, we uh, we appreciate everybody's participation in the town hall. We had over 1,300 people joining us online or at least viewing the video um, that's still up on our website. Um, and have uh, we also got tons of comment cards. Uh, and I've been reading through the comment cards to see what people liked about uh, the, the candidates, what they didn't like. Uh, and, and we're taking all of that into account as we make a decision. Your current... Um, or our in in this city, the the current interim police chief Michael Sack is a finalist and the only local candidate for the job. What is your level of confidence in him uh, for the time remaining, and you know, what has he shown in uh, in the time that he has served in that capacity? Uh- uh, Chief Sack has done a tremendous job, um, especially uh, dealing with the shooting, the school shooting that we had on October 24th, uh, exhibiting uh, a wealth of compassion, um, as well as uh, leading our our officers to respond quickly, uh, to be able to take the shooter out as soon as possible. Um, and our, our officers, um, you know, who are also dealing with, you know, the trauma after this incident responded perfectly. So, you know, our officers were trained and ready, uh, as well as the uh, staff and, and officers in the school were trained and ready to respond. Okay. Something that is associated with police, uh, we received a tweet from someone who was wondering about an invest- investigation into private policing. And we talked with Jeremy Kohler earlier this week. Um, is there anything uh, that has been taken up in terms of uh, city review of private companies 
and that are employing police officers to do that work. Well, we recently learned that uh, city the city does private policing, or what we call secondary, different than any other place in the country. And uh, I don't want St. Louis to be unique in that way. Uh, so we are looking into ways uh, to improve that, and also making sure that uh, policing is fair in our city. That you know the well-heeled few or those who pay extra taxes shouldn't get extra protection. That you know we all pay taxes in order to make sure that we get equal protection from our police department. So we do need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to pick up on this conversation with you, St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones. Now back to our conversation with St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones. I'd like to pick this up with some news that we've gotten. So we're going to talk about um, something that we have been waiting to hear a little bit about. That's guaranteed basic income. So last month, Alderwoman Shamim Clark Hubbard introduced a measure to put $5 million of COVID relief funds to set up a universal basic income. That measure doesn't represent a first as the city enacted a similar program in 2021 that used federal pandemic money to give more than 9,000 low-income households one-time $500 checks. An update just came in. What is that update? Uh, That update is the HUDS committee uh, passed the bill uh, that included that funding with a do-pass recommendation out of committee, so it's on its way to the full board. So this is now advanced. Let's talk about some of the details with this. Now, when it comes to an amount that that does get dispersed, how much money are we talking about? Yeah, so uh, this particular program, we're talking about $500 uh, to approximately 400 plus families over the next 18 months. And is this program one that is sustainable after that point? Well, it's a pilot. It's a pilot. And it's similar to several cities across the country uh, that have been using ARPA funds in the same way. St. Paul, Minnesota, Chicago, Illinois, to name a couple. Um, And I am also part of Mayors for Guaranteed Income, which is a coalition of about 100 mayors across the country who are doing pilot programs uh, similar to this, um, because we know that ARPA funds um, won't last forever. Um, So a lot of cities are choosing to use ARPA funds in this way. What are those cities seeing as far as results go? Well, we all go back to, everything points back to Stockton, California, and former Mayor Michael Tubbs, uh, who did the first GBI pilot, and that showed that uh, people use this money to uh, stop working two jobs, for example, to take care of their family, to pay their rent, uh, to get better paying jobs, uh, to to increase the station of themselves and their families, uh, to buy food, to, you know, groceries, uh, clothes for their family, uh, to move up. Um, And uh, we're finding that uh, overall families use this money to get out of poverty. Do you happen to have an anecdote that illustrates how during the 2021 um, disbursement, how that cash assistance actually helped people? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, we know um, from the data that we collected that most families use the money for groceries and to pay their utility bills. Um, we have uh, families that uh, have come to us uh, individually that told us that you know there was one uh, woman who used the money to get a new coat, for example, because the, the money was dispersed in, in the winter months. Um, we know of another family who used the money uh, to uh, take care of her mother. Uh, she was un current, she was unemployed, and she used it to be able to stay home and take care of her mother, and you know, buy the essentials there. So we know that uh, people are using the money in the right way, and the way it was used, which is to help people get through these tough times. Because I don't, unless you know, anybody's. I, my science tells me that we are still in the middle of a pandemic. We have we, we have not um, yet emerged, and we still have the flu to deal with in RSV. Uh, so there are still a lot of families who are still in need. And much of that need does have to do with, with money. So let's talk a bit about the ARPA funds. Mm -hmm. The city of St. Louis received $498 million dollars in the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA. Mm -hmm. And according to the city's portal, about 135 million of that has been appropriated, but only $18.5 million spent. And that's gone unchanged for most of the year, with well over $350 million left to spend from this money, what are your priorities with it? Well, I'd also like to challenge that we have about eight $80 million programmed out of that $135 million number that you talked about. Uh, and programmed means that it's out in the community currently being spent. Um, and, you know, we're spending this in a myriad of ways uh, under the rules and regulations of the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, we have uh, several uh, uh, tens of millions going towards infrastructure. Um, we just allocated $40 million for a, a traffic and mobility study to make sure that uh, no matter how people get around the city that, uh, that they are safe. Um, we are uh, spending money on youth, expanding youth jobs, um, so that takes time. Um, we're also spending money, uh, like I said, in a myriad of ways, uh, but, you know, uh, it, this is money that has federal um, rules and regulations attached to it. So we want to make sure that we're dotting every I and crossing every T because we don't want to, we don't want the federal government to enact any clawbacks on the money that we spend. So last Friday, we did have some folks in uh, to our show who were talking about homeless services. So we heard from, uh, from, a, a, from several homeless service providers who told us that the city is not prepared to adequately shelter its homeless population this winter. Um, your office has said that vulnerable resident residents can now access more than 600 shelter beds, including 130 overflow beds. Um, the people that we spoke with, however, said that they have no idea where these beds are and that there's no way to find out. And even more specifically, that operators at the 211 phone-based service don't have that information. Um, for outreach providers working directly with homeless residents, um, if they don't know where these beds are, how are people who need them expected to find those beds? Well, that's not true. 211 has uh, information on where the beds are as well as the Get Help app. 
um, and our our department directors and and staff have access to the Get Help app that shows where all of the beds are. Um, And, you know, I want to stress that we are changing the way that we are approaching our unhoused uh, in the city of St. Louis. Uh, We're requiring all shelter operators, including overflow shelters, to be open 24-7 and offer wraparound services because we want our our commitment is to making sure that our unhoused neighbors get into permanent and supportive housing so they don't end up homeless again. Uh, Also, we're asking, we're providing data support to ensure that our unhoused neighbors and their needs are accounted for at city-funded and volunteer shelters. So we want to see the data um, uh, that makes sure that we are giving our unhoused neighbors what they need, to, not just to survive the winter, but also to thrive after the winter is over. So clearly there are macro-level issues that you are thinking about and, and wanting to deal with. Given that you know the winter season is it's upon us each, each day. I mean the weather it's mm-hmm. it is erratic, but it is certainly getting colder. Right. One of the things that was brought up had to do with the warming bus, mm-hmm. and so St. Patrick's Center CEO Anthony D'Agostino told us that his organization offered to run a warming bus for the city, and then he said that the city didn't take up the offer. Why is that? Uh, because having shelters 24/7 removes the need for a warming bus. If if the if shelters are open 24/7, then our unhoused neighbors don't have to leave the shelter. They can stay there for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and we've uh, again, so it relieves the burden on our paid volunteer and outreach teams, and it negates the need for the warming bus. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how unhoused residents would get to the shelters, the the warming bus is not something that would be... It was only available in the park. It didn't move. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we want to make sure that when people get to the shelter that they can stay there and receive the wraparound services so they can get into permanent and supportive housing. We're speaking with Mayor Tashara Jones, uh, who's providing a a bit of an update on several different topics. Um, One of those that you have just alluded to was traffic violence insofar as where uh, money is being spent to improve um, infrastructure. So earlier this fall, we spoke with a St. Louis lawyer and cyclist about traffic violence involving cyclists in particular. And he said he was heartened to hear your October op-ed in the, or to read, that is, your October op-ed in the Riverfront Times. Mm -hmm. But he also voiced frustration over the lack of action being taken to make concrete improvements. So based on your research, what specific improvements and projects need to be prioritized to make traveling city streets safer? Well, I am not the streets director, so I can't speak to specifics. But what I can speak to is what what my administration has done thus far, um, which we have um, uh, allocated $40 million for a citywide mobility traffic study uh, because currently our ward-by-ward um, uh, system to address traffic uh, uh, safety in the city clearly is not working. Um, and because, you know, all the people have different needs, some will pay attention to traffic safety, others will not. Uh, this needs to be something that is, that is addressed on a citywide basis. And when we do, uh, of course, that's going to take a lot longer than just doing just putting up stop signs and shameful pots and, and balls in, in different intersections. Mm-hmm. 
On Twitter, Evie asks, what portion of the 40 million recently promised for pedestrian cyclist street safety will go to education and enforcement? So that that 40 million is for infrastructure. We are currently hiring communications um, uh, directors in in this in the streets department to provide more education. Uh, that's a part of the streets department regular budget. Okay. Um, city government. That is something also that is uh, is recent as far as some changes go. And earlier this week, three former St. Louis aldermen were sentenced to between three and nearly four years in federal prison for mm-hmm. their roles in a corruption scheme around development incentives. This is a, is a consequence, but why is it that people should believe that government is working for them and isn't corrupt? Well, our city was shaken by those indictments, um, and no one wins uh, when uh, when we have situations like this. Uh, however, uh, I have I have been and remain committed uh, to making sure that government works for the people, not the other way around. Um, and and uh, with the elec- recent election of uh, President Megan Green, we na- I now have a partner um, in the board of aldermen uh, in that office where. Before, I did not. Uh, it's been no secret that, you know, Lewis Reed, uh, John Collins, Muhammad, and Jeffrey Boyd uh, 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 attacked and uh, challenged me on everything. Um, and that doesn't work um, when we're arguing with each other because then things don't get done for the people in the city of St. Louis. I was elected to serve the people, not to serve private interest or, or, um, or, or, you know, or, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm here to do a job to serve the people, and uh, that's what I'm elected to do. So now that that adversarial component is not there, what are one or two concrete things that will change in St. Louis? And by concrete, I mean things that people sort of in everyday life will be able to see. Um, what are some changes that people in St. Louis will see now that Green is president, and you are working together. Well, uh, for the first time in St. Louis's history, we'll have three women uh, rec- uh, represented on the board of estimate and apportionment, um, and women uh, tend to uh, uh, govern in a different way. Um, we think about who's not at the table. We think about um, uh, families. We we lead with compassion, and I'm, I'm not saying that men don't, but we just govern different. Um, and we have we now have a partner uh, between all three three offices. We'll have regional collaboration not only at the city level uh, but also regionally. So um, we'll be able to uh, work on things that we agree on, and when we disagree, we'll do it without becoming disagreeable. Mm-hmm. And do you see there being any opportunity to um, to advance? Uh, Advance some things that you were interested in pushing forward with the pre when the the previous uh, president of the board was there. Well, guaranteed basic income passed out of HUDs today. I don't think that would have ever happened if we still had those three there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very recent development, and it <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something that that um, that many people have been waiting for. Now, the, the last thing that we'll touch upon has to do with, uh, with crime. 
Mm-hmm. And Tony Messenger has just written a column titled, Is Gun Safety the Answer to St. Louis Crime? Lawmakers have made the case again, and that word again is its own sentence. Um, given what has happened around gun violence, um, in in one word, is there, uh, is there one group of people that you think are really necessary to moving things forward when it comes to dealing with guns? Yes, the state legislature. Okay. Well, Tishara Jones, uh, <laughs> mayor of St. Louis, we're so pleased that you were able to join us today. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.